Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And I have to tell you something. This is from the bottom of my heart. I truly, this is one of the most favorite things that I get to do in life is to praise him. And I hope you feel that way this morning too. Let's stand together and worship him this morning.
Lord, breathe on us this morning. We surrender our lives, Lord. We surrender to you this morning, Lord. We want to know you more today than we did yesterday, Lord. Like a mighty storm, like a a mighty storm, come and breathe. In the beginning, you breathed, and we, we were. You breathed us into existence. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's give him the highest praise. He's worthy of our praise. Let the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Can we praise him? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, praise group, for the wonderful songs. I feel so emboldened and so encouraged. I feel like David. I could take on a line. We are victorious today. In Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. We sometimes need to remind ourselves of that. Especially when all around us we see things closing in. But that's all right. Because our God is in control. Amen. Praise God. I have a passage of scripture here that brings that point vividly close to us. As only God can do. It's found in 2 Kings 6 little story of Elijah and his servant being attacked by numerous armies. Elijah says to his servant, fear not. Let me start with the verse before that. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. That would be like missiles and tanks and the very strongest military that we have nowadays. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And Elisha said, Fear not. Same words that Jesus says over and over. Fear not. Say fear not, please. Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Hallelujah. That makes me feel real good. That encourages me. Hallelujah. Thank you for those words, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. That is how we fight our battle, sister. Amen. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Praise God. Praise God. Let me stop there. Brothers and sisters, let's go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for his fiery horses and chariots that are protecting us right now. Amen. We'll go boldly before the throne of grace. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that the same thing you did for Elisha, the same thing you did for Daniel, the same thing you did for David when he was faced by his giant. You have that same power, those same horses, those same chariots, spiritual weapons are all around us. And we will be the victor, as the ladies just sang. Not the victims, but we'll be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we love you. We're not going to cower. We're not going to tremble in fear. We do realize that there's a lot going on right now that can make you fearful. But we got Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And Father God, we will continue to trust in him. And God, we trust. And we will never stop saying that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Christ, we adore thee. We exalt thee. We are so glad that you are ours and we are yours. For you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Not Washington, not any other country in the world, but you, dear God. Father, continue to watch over us, your children, here at Christ the Cornerstone Church, both campuses. Watch over all of Christendom, dear God. We're your children. We're your people. Psalm 100 says, we're the sheep of your pasture. We're not too smart. We're like sheep. We're stupid. We need help. We need a shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, for being that shepherd. Thank you for the shepherd you put over this church, Pastor Roger, who leads us and guides us. And Father, we do believe we're going to make it all the way in the ways that you have encompassed us and encamped your angels around us according to your word in Psalm 34, verse 7. I feel my angels. I see them surrounding these walls. I see them with spiritual eyes. Great mighty angels, eight, ten feet tall, standing at attention as the word of God has been pronounced. We thank you, dear God. Thank you for protecting us and saving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, CTC family, I'm Carrie Ann, and here's this week's news. Church Online Platform is the new home for our online campus. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., you can join us at ctcde.online.church and worship with us. We have worked to develop better ways to connect through chat, prayer opportunities, and ways to communicate with us. You can request prayer at any time during the broadcast. When you do, you will be redirected to a private chat where one of our trained hosts will join you and talk and pray with you. If you are unable to get audio, click on the speaker icon in the lower right of your screen to unmute your speaker. Right Now Media has a brand new series entitled Race and the Gospel, a conversation with Brian Lawrence and Matt Chandler. This five-part series uses Paul's writing to the Ephesians to address race, racism, and injustice. Through teaching and honest dialogues, Brian and Matt will unpack the hard truths about America's racial past and present and suggest a pathway forward of healing, justice, and hope for a multi-ethnic harmony in the church. If you order merchandise from our holiday store, the majority of that has arrived. We apologize for the delay, but our supplier was hit hard by COVID and shut down for two weeks. If you ordered merchandise, you can stop by the church and pick it up during business hours or during service times. For more information on these and other events, visit our website at ctcde.net or go to our Facebook page. If you need prayer, you can call the church office at 302-836-2862 or text us at 888-344-1022. You can also email us at prayer at ctcde.net or if you're worshiping online, you can click the request prayer button at the bottom of your screen. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. God bless you and have a great week. God is good and he is worthy to be praised. The Bible tells us that in Psalm 65, verse 8, the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns,
where evening fades, you call forth the joy of songs. Man, that's how I feel when I enter the sanctuary. And we're so glad that you're here because God woke us up on this beautiful day. We have another opportunity to to do his work and live inside his will. And that's an awesome thing. We're grateful God brought you to us. And we want to connect with you. If you're in the room or if you're in our online congregation, you can fill out the connect card that's on your table and list everyone that's here with you. And if you're online, you can fill out the connect card. There's a tab for the connect card. And if you're new here, you can stop by the Welcome Center after service is over. The Welcome Center is out in the mall on your left. And the Bible also tells us that if we give willingly, that God loves a cheerful giver. So on your table in front of you, there is an offering envelope where you can give back to God a portion of what he has given you. If you're online, there is a tab, an online giving tab, where you can give. And also, whether you're online or in the sanctuary, you can list your prayer concerns. And you can rest well assured that members of our pastoral care team will pray for you. And lastly, will you stand with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, As we approach your throne of grace, we thank you for the opportunity to give back to you a portion of what you have given to us. Lord, you are so generous. You have given us spiritual gifts. You have given us talents. You have given us time where we can go into the community and work your works according to the power of him whom you sent. And lastly, Father God, we have the opportunity to give back to you just a measure, a small measure of what you have given to us. Because I am convinced that if we gave you everything that we had, we could never give more than you have given us. So we thank you for that. And as we turn now to hear a word from you, Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus, that you bless the messenger of God, the man of God who is our pastor. Father, the Spirit is already running through this place. So we thank you for that. We ask you to pour out an extra measure on our pastor as he brings the word. Let the scales fall away from our eyes. Let our ears be open. And let your word penetrate deep. And let it not only penetrate, but let it result in action as we leave this place to do your will. Father, because we want to please you. And we will serve you. So we ask you to give us the strength and the power and the conviction to do that. We ask all these things in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And let us all say, Amen. You may now be seated. Thank you.
Hey, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning, and the Lord is with us this morning. And uh, I can feel the Lord's presence this morning, and it's always humbling for us to gather in the presence of the Lord. And uh, I, I never take this job lightly, even though sometimes I might laugh and joke, because <laughs> laughter is one of the things that the Lord gave me. Uh, this is, I take this job seriously. And it is humbling to come before you every week. And um, I'll tell a little bit more about that later. I want to get ahead of myself. But yesterday, I sat in the examination room at my eye doctor's office. I needed a new pair of glasses. Uh, These glasses that I'm wearing are are probably four or five years old. And one of the technicians looked at my glasses and says, when's the last time you got a new pair of glasses? I said, how can you tell? But uh, I was sitting there and and decided last year I had a regular exam and had a new prescription, but it was just slightly off or slightly uh, different than these. And so I decided, well, I'm not going to spend the money on a new pair of glasses. I'll just wait another year. So yesterday was the day. I was sitting there, and he noticed some things in my eyes. He dilated them, of course, so that I could see, so that he could see inside my eyes and what was, uh, what was going on in there. And of course, he saw some things that were typical of a man my age. Yay, I'm getting older. <laughs> That's what happens, right? Vision is critical to life, isn't it? We've got to see things. And people who lose their eyesight have to find ways to compensate for their lost vision through their eyes. Because we still have to see things. We have to be aware of the world around us. And God has given us five senses to be able to be aware of what is around us. And we all know that if one of us, if we lose one of those senses, we've got to find ways to compensate. Because we have to hear, we have to see. We have to feel, we have to smell, and because of this COVID thing, some of us are losing that sense, and and that has its own consequences. We have to see. We have to be able to perceive the world around us. Today we're beginning a series called God's Eye View. And through the series, I'm challenging us to look at the world the way God sees the world. You realize that when you look at the world, it is through your eyes, right? (laughs) And you don't. I hope one of the one of the most important things that we can learn in life is that we don't all always see things the same way other people see things. Right. Everybody doesn't see the world the way you see the world because nobody else is in your eyes. And that is that is such an important uh, aspect of maturing and growing up as a human being. We've got to learn that and learn how to live with people uh, who don't see things the same way we do. So vision is critical. And we want to look through this series at the world from God's perspective. Uh, A lot of these ideas are coming from this series of classes that we've been talking about. Back in September and October, we started talking about perspectives class. And a lot of the ideas that Pastor Sharon at the Ellesmere campus and I will be sharing uh, during the next several weeks will be coming from the perspectives class. But what we're able to show you or tell you uh, through these messages is just a very small part of what you would experience if you would commit to take this perspectives class. It's not too late to sign up for the perspectives class. So if you're interested in it, go online and see about the perspectives class. Let me offer to you, especially if you're part of the 
part of our uh, Christ the Cornerstone ministry, you, 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 you're part of us. Uh, it, there is an expense to it, to perspectives, and uh, I'm willing to help you with that. If there's, if there's a, uh, if you can pay a portion of it, and, and I'm willing to uh, give you a discount and help help get you in that, because I believe that when we begin seeing the world through God's eyes, God will change our hearts for God's people, and that is crucial for the task that God has given to us. So you can you can. Uh, Get some more information on that. There's a spot if you're online and, you're, uh, and uh, you want to fill out the Connect card. There's a spot on the Connect card that says, I'd like to talk to somebody or send me more information about perspectives. But there's also a way online for you to get more information about perspectives on that. Let's begin looking at God's eye view by considering the, this idea about the character of God. And here's the big idea that I want us to think about today about God's character. And that character is that God is always seeking. The God who created us is the God who's also looking to seek us. He's watching after us. He's, I'm going to say this phrase, coming to get us, but I wish there was a so much better way to say that. Because when we say, I'm coming to get you, we think of we've done something wrong and he's going to come and punish us. But that's not what God is doing. God is constantly seeking to bring us back to him. So there are five ideas under this heading of God is always seeking that I want us to look at this morning. The first one, and we start with the scripture, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is where the whole thing starts, this big idea that God is a seeking God. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read these words, that God said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't name the land. He doesn't give him the coordinates. He doesn't give him the GPS numbers. He says, when you get there, I'm going to say to you, that's it. And from now until then, I just want you to follow me step by step. (laughs) That's what God is calling Abram to do. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will bless those and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. The Lord is choosing Abraham. He's going to lead him. He's going to cause him to have a a family that becomes a great nation. And through that family... He will bless and he will protect and all the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. I said Abraham, but his name is still Abram. But you need to remember in this story that Abram has no children. And Abraham, Abram is married to Sarai, 
who is, they're barren. And we understand fertility better in our day today than they did back then, but that doesn't make a difference. <laughs> it doesn't matter who was the problem in that relationship. They could have no children. And God said, I will make a great nation to you. Remember that. Of you. And so this is the setting of this God who is always seeking. God has a plan and God has a purpose. So number one about this character of this, this God who is seeking us. Number one, this point is God is the God of history. And this God who has this great plan is going to get involved in, directly in, our human history. You've heard the saying that those who do not learn from the past are doomed or condemned to repeat it. Is history a repetitious cycle? Everything that has happened is going to happen again. Are we doomed to repeat everything that has happened in the past? I sure hope not. And if you're online, maybe you could post the answer. (laughs) What do you think here in the room? What do you think? Is history a linear thing or is it a cyclical thing? Somebody say both. I hear both. I hear linear. I hear cyclical. Let me give you a picture of the ancient Near East people. The ancient Near East pagan way of understanding the world was, was based on their observations only of the nature of things as God created it. And from their perspective, they saw history as only cyclical. Every day they woke up, they saw the sun come up. They watched the sun move across the sky. They watched the sun go down. A few hours later, they'd watch the sun come back up and it repeated itself. And there was this other object called the moon and they watched it go through different phases. And it was absolutely cyclical from their perspective. And the seasons came and it got hot at some times of the season. And then the the river flooded at some some part of the year. And then they, they realized that after the river floods and recedes, it has left a deposit of this beautiful soil that becomes extremely fertile. And so they learned that that's the time that we need to plant our seeds. And they take this seed and they put it in the ground. And it comes up. And then it matures. And they take it and they eat from it. And they live. And so life is absolutely this cycle. But in the pagan understanding of the world, they, when, when the floods would come or when, when disasters would come that were natural things, they believed that they could manipulate and control the world by their incantations, by their rituals, by magic. They believed that they could, they could adjust this schedule. But life in itself was nothing more than a cycle that kept repeating over and over and over. Now, the Bible brings in a slightly different perspective because God is a God of history. And when that God, remember, the pagan view of the world was simply based on this vision that didn't look at the outside God. It just looked at nature as it was right here. And it was certainly cyclical. But God interrupted that human understanding of the circle of life. 
And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, ultimately. But before God interrupted this world with Jesus Christ, and, and so that rat race that humanity is on, the rat is able to get off the wheel. <laughs> is able to get out of that race because of God's intervention in history. And that's a good thing. Because even though we recognize, yes, there are many cycles in life. Yes, the seasons come and the seasons go. And the Old Testament tells us that there is a time for everything. There is a season for this. There's a time for laughing. And even that, that same book, Ecclesiastes, says that, that, that there's nothing new under the sun. But a God of history continues to come into our lives and interrupt those cycles. Like I said a few minutes ago, I went to the eye doctor, and uh, I have a birthday this month. I'm going to make you guess. Some of you might know what day is my birthday, but Pastor Paul never liked anybody to recognize his birthday. I don't, I don't care, but I don't want to brag about it. But what's different about my... So, so, so a birthday comes around every year. That's part of the cycle of life, right? We count the days. We count the months. We count the years. But what's different about me this birthday that wasn't true last birthday. <laughs> somebody, somebody wants to say it. <laughs> he's, he's older. <laughs> My body is different. It has matured some more. <laughs> That's the right word, right? <laughs> it has matured more. So even though there is this cycle, there is this concept of time, there is this concept of growth, there is this concept of becoming mature in who we are. Children look to become mature. They look at grown-ups and they say, I can't wait to be able to do what dad does. I can't wait to be able to do what mom does. I want to grow up. Teenagers struggle with this idea of growing up. They want to grow up, but they still want to. This is part of the conflict of the teenage years and the young adult years. I want, to, I want the responsibility of an adult. I want to have I want to have the house. I want to have the car. I want to have the job. But then when we get the car, we get the house, we get the car, we get the job, we realize that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And it takes us time to mature into those things. And this God of history, because He is a God of history, He helps us grow. <laughs> and we have got to grow. We can't continue to repeat the same old things in life because God is a God of history and He intends for us to grow and mature. And growing up and maturing involves pain. Growing up is often a painful experience. When my daughter Emily was, uh, uh, was born, we noticed that there was something different about her right eye compared to her left eye. And her, her left eye looked clear and it was beautiful. Her right eye was still beautiful. <laughs> what dad is not going to say anything other than that. But there was a, there was a, there was a haze across the whole eye. The doctor tried to look inside her eye and couldn't see anything inside her right eye. So if the doctor can't see anything in there, the doctor presumed correctly that Emily could not see anything out of that eye. So she was blind in her right eye. 
She had a cornea transplant, and fortunately, that's all the, all the surgery that she needed to have. When the doctor cut out the, the, uh, the, the birth cornea, the original cornea, then he was able to see inside her eye, and he saw that there was a lens, and it was healthy. He saw that there was an iris, and it was healthy. He saw that there was an optic nerve, and it was healthy. So we were all grateful for what the doctor found. But because that cornea was blocked... She could not see out of her eye. So she had that surgery at four months old. Here's a four-month-old baby going under anesthesia. There are some risks in that. <laughs> and when, when, when she came out of surgery, she was all patched, so that, and her eye was closed, that eye was closed, because it had a cornea transplant, and it had been sutured into her eye, that new cornea. And the doctor said to Carolyn and I, the very next day when he needed to examine her eye and see how things were going, he looked at me and he said, Dad, you have to take off the bandage because it's going to be painful for her. And if she associates pain with me, she'll never like me. <laughs> she'll, every time you bring her into my office, she will associate me with pain. And I don't have a relationship with her, but you do. And so, Dad, you can remove the bandage from her eye, and she's going to associate that pain with you. But you have a relationship with her so that you can overcome the pain of growing. Growing up is painful. But we've got to be in relationship with people who can help us through the pain of the growing up. And ultimately, that is God. Ultimately, that is Jesus. But we need lots of people around us who can help us grow through life's pain. And it doesn't matter what age we are. I've been with people who have faced their own death. And they needed somebody to be with them as they learned, as they grew through recognizing I'm going to die. That's a painful thing. Don't let anybody go through that alone. But ultimately, dying is a... a nobody can die for anybody else. <laughs> and it is a lonely experience. But let's be with them. Anyway, God is this God of history who causes us to grow in our faith. He created us to grow and to mature. We all have a purpose. We're moving towards that purpose that God has for us. God is a God of history. He breaks into our history. Though it is a cycle, God is moving us through that cycle to someplace greater, better, stronger, healthier. And we think that in our life, that this, this life is going to die, and that's true. But God is leading us even through this life for eternal life with Him. And that's what God created us for, to live forever with Him. Romans 11.33, this isn't on the screen, so just listen to this. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him to receive a gift in return? And from, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. God is a God of history. Secondly, 
God is the God of covenant promise. God is the God, uh, it should be on number two, God is the God of covenant promise. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Now this, <coughs> this chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews lists a history. Remember, God is a God of history. Chapter 11 lists a history of people who have been faithful to God. And there are, there, there's a long history of people named in this. If you want to know who they are, read the first part of of uh, this chapter. But in verse 12, we read these words. And so, from Abraham, a whole history, a whole nation came from this one man. Remember what we read in Genesis, he didn't have any children yet. But by the time we get to Hebrews, there's a whole nation that have come from this one man who was as good as dead. Why does it say he was good as dead? Because he could not, he and his wife could not have any children. Now, in our world, I'm so grateful for modern science and our understanding that helps barren couples to conceive. And I'm so glad that even, even the Lord, even for those who still cannot conceive, God helps couples give themselves to others, even if they don't adopt them. But we're all here to be parents to others, to care for others. And I pray for those couples who long to have children. And to give the care. Because when God brings a husband and a wife together, love is expressed. And love wants to love others. And so, I thank you, God, that you help us learn how to love others, even if we can't be the ones who are creating that new life. You help us be part of that anyway. So a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All of these people died. And as they died, they believed what God had promised them. Lord, I lived my entire life. I believed that promise that you have for us, but I haven't seen it. But I still trust you. That's what these people have said. And they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. And they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. God, you've got something far greater for us. And and you give a glimpse of that to our minds and to our hearts. Give us hope. And we trust in that hope. And even though we may not see it fulfilled in this life, we are going to trust you. We're going to glorify you. And Hebrews 11 gives credit to that. I'm going to flip back to Hebrews chapter 6, just a few verses before. I know we're going backwards in the Bible, but this is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. So we read in the previous scripture that God did create this nation of people. And so in chapter 6, 11 through 12, We read our great desire, the writer is saying to to the people to whom this letter is written, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. So in order to get what we hope for, that eternal life with God, we've got to be doing something here 
and now. And that what we are to be doing here and now is loving others. That loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. There's a relationship in here. That's why I called this, this point, God is a God of covenant promise. Covenant requires relationship. And it is promised to us. But the promise cannot be fulfilled if we have no relationship with the one who's making the promise. We gotta have a relationship with God in order to, to experience the promise that we've having, that He gives to us. So God's promises require a relationship, a require a covenant in order to fulfill it. God chooses to make a friendship with you and me in order that we may experience God's promise of blessing that started with Abraham, actually started with Adam and Eve, but we'll leave that for another day, <laughs> continued through Abram. And through time and time and time and time, through history, God's promise continues until it will be ultimately fulfilled that every nation and every tribe is blessed to be in that relationship with God, our Creator. So this leads us to the third thing. God is a God of blessing. God desires to bless us. There's a strange thing happening here. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, verse 26. Acts chapter 3, verse 26 says, When God raised up His servant Jesus, He sent Him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. So, in order for God to fulfill His promise, a relationship is required. We're not going to get the promise if we're not in a relationship with the one who's making the promise. Right? How can you do that? Somebody's making a promise. I don't know about that promise. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to have a relationship with that person. I'm not going to experience it. I don't know about it. I'm not going to experience it. I don't know why I'm not getting it. I don't even know that that promise exists. But God created all humanity to experience this promise. And in order to get it, we've got to have a relationship. But what caused the relationship to fall apart? The answer is, we have missed the mark of our living. And that in its most basic sense is the definition of sin. We've just missed the mark. Humanity is not what God created it to be. We don't have to look far to realize that. Let's just look at our nation this past week. Corruption, jealousy, power plays, all kinds of things happening. Because we as human beings cannot govern ourselves. <laughs> We've got to have a governor. And in the hearts of every individual, the right governor is our Lord Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. And that is extended 
through the body of Christ, which goes through me and you who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. We become the ones who are responsible for connecting everybody to that governor, Jesus Christ, because we are his body. We cannot let down our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ in our society. We have got to share God's love. We have got to be working for God's justice. We have got to be working for peace. And this is such a powerful message. And I, and I know these are, these are big ideas that I'm talking about in this message. And there are five big ideas in this. And you can, we can think about them. And, and actually, uh, after this message at 11 o'clock, we have a Zoom meeting called Beyond. And it gives us an opportunity to gather together on Zoom. Uh, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, uh, you can join us on Zoom and we can follow up. With, the, with this message, and if you've got questions, I invite you to join us on Zoom. God is the God of blessing, but Jesus came, as uh, chapter 3 in Acts, verse 26, keep losing it, says, When God raised up His servant, He sent Him first to you, people Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. So Jesus came to say to us, you're going the wrong way, turn around. And sometimes when we're going the wrong way, we get in a fog. We're going the wrong way. We don't know which way to turn. We go this way, and all of a sudden we're stumbling over something else. Camera. It's not watching where I'm going. Let me get back in the camera. <laughs> Lost me. Sorry, I should have been moving sooner so that the camera person didn't get bored with, what, with my message. We go... And we stumble this way, we stumble that way, and we're wondering, well, which way am I supposed to go? How about you go the way that God teaches us (laughs) through Jesus? He's here to tell us the way to go. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 21. And here's here's an interesting phrase in here. In the book of Isaiah... Isaiah was a prophet who came to the people of God in part, this is part of the Old Testament's way of turning people back around. So the prophets, God sent them to say to people, you're going the wrong way, follow God. Now Jesus hadn't come yet, but there still were people who were following God. And so the prophets came to say, turn around. And Isaiah is one of those prophets in verse 21 and 28. Uh, chapter 28 says, The Lord will come as He did against the Philistines at Mount Perizim and against the Amorites at Gibeon, and He will do a strange thing. He will come and do an unusual deed. For the Lord's army, for the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, has plainly said that He is determined to crush the whole land. So scoff no more, or your punishment will be even greater. So the strange thing that God is going to do in order to bring a blessing to all people is He's going to judge us. Because we can't get to the blessing without going through the judgment. Because if we don't go through the judgment, we will never realize our need for the blessing. And until, until, you know, it's, it's like I'm going down the, going down the highway and, and I'm just barreling along and all of a sudden I trip over something because I took my eyes off the road and I'm looking at my phone. 
I know, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> Let me go back. We're driving down the road. There we go. You know, you know this is spontaneous when I'm doing that. Driving down the road. All of a sudden, I'm going this way, and I hear this rumble. That's why they put those little rumble strips on the side of the road, because too many of us are getting distracted by something. Now, when my dad, but I remember my, my dad, before they started putting those rumbles on the, on the road, it was my mother who was watching the road for my dad, <laughs> James. And, and so we'd be going down the road, and Dad would be looking at the scenery. He didn't have a cell phone back in those days. They didn't exist. But he's a farmer, and he's driving past somebody else's farm, and he's looking at it. And all of a sudden, he starts to wander off the road, and all of a sudden, the family hears, Larry! <laughs> back on the road. Some of y'all have been there. Jesus came. Judgment tells us you're going the wrong way. Don't resist the judgment that God gives to us. Don't ignore that conscience that God placed in us. It's God coming to us and saying, you're getting real close to this thing and it's dangerous. Make a correction. Come back this way. I know. We're out of time. I'm moving on. Let's go. Uh, it's so tempting to go into the next illustration, but I don't need it. I think I've made my point. Oh, come on. <laughs> You're encouraging me. <laughs> but back in, the, back in the 80s, a movie came out called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And, uh, and, and John Candy and Steve Martin were these two characters in this movie. They were strangers. They met on an airplane. They were sitting next to each other on an airplane that gets stranded in some snowstorm someplace. But they're both heading to Chicago. They decide that they can't get a flight to Chicago. So John Candy decides he's going to rent a car. And he's, he's this obnoxious, loud Smelly, fat <laughs> salesman who, who, who appears to have little discipline. And Steve Martin is this business executive. Very disciplined, very educated, proper in every way. So there's a great contrast between these two characters. And they're, they're, they're deciding to go together. They really can't stand each other. But John Candy is one of these guys that doesn't realize how, how irritating he is to, to, to Steve. And, uh, and Steve's like, ah! So they're on this, they're, they're in this car, they're traveling to, to uh, Chicago from maybe St. Louis or something like that. And so they're on the interstate highway, and for some reason, John Candy is driving in the middle of night, in the middle, in the middle of winter, and he gets, he take, he gets off, they get gas, they, he gets on the, the ramp to get back on the highway, there's no other traffic, he turns to get on the highway, and he doesn't realize that he took the wrong ramp, and he's going, he's driving north on the southbound, Lane. But there's, it's middle of the night. There's no other traffic, so he doesn't know. And pretty soon, you know, just across the median over here is the northbound lane that's parallel to the southbound lane. And so John Candy's driving on the north, north on the southbound lane, and a car comes along on the driving north on the northbound lane, rolls down his window, yells over to John Candy, You're going the wrong way! He keeps shouting, beeping his horn, and finally John Candy gets his attention over on this car, and he looks at him and he says, what is wrong with you? What are you doing over here? And he hears him say, you're going the wrong way. And John Candy says, I'm not going the wrong way. How do you know what way I'm going? I love that line. 
Are you in my head? Remember what I said about our perspective of life? We got to learn that our perspective is not always the true perspective. And God has a different perspective. So here we go. Here's John. John Candy's driving up there. He's mocking this guy over here who's saying you're going the wrong way. You don't know what way I'm going in life. Stop telling me what way I'm going. Finally, John Candy turns back to his to his road. Say, ah, ignore you. You're just drunk. And and he starts. He, he continues going north on the southbound lane. And all of a sudden, there are two semi trucks. Bright headlights passing each other. There's no place for John Candy to go. Those two trucks go right past John Candy and, and, and scrapes the car on both sides. And then there's this, all these sparks and lightning flashes and there's an image of the devil there because he's going through hell. <laughs> it's going to be a judgment for all of us. Somebody's God is out there telling us you're going the wrong way. God gives us many signs to turn around and go His way. It doesn't take a big change for you to make that change and go the way to God. It does require an acknowledgement that you're going the wrong way. It does require an acknowledgement that, Lord, I've tried this myself, and I'm going the wrong way. I can't make it work, God. I need Your help. Teach me. Show me. Number four, so this God who is a God of blessing, but the blessing comes through the judgment. But number four says God is the God of mercy (laughs) to the multitudes. Because this judgment leads to mercy. Because God is a God of mercy. Not just to you or me or just to the Israelites or the Jews but to all people, because now we're back to the promise that God made that from Abraham, that family will be a blessing to all the nations. And so we jump now to the book of Revelation. Chapter 7, verse 9, which says, and and this book of Revelation is is a vision given to John in a very turbulent time. But it's a hopeful vision. And he says, After this I saw a vast crowd. Some translation says a multitude. And part of John's vision is God is recreating and God is redeeming and God is bringing good things. And it says, After this I saw a great crowd, too great to count. What, what was the promise to Abraham? That he would make a, a nation that was too great to count? And here in the book of Revelation, after I saw this, a vast crowd, too many to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, Jesus is the Lamb of God. God is the God of mercy to all the nations. And I look forward to the day. I'm I'm pleased that we as Christ the Cornerstone Church have represented within us a good 
representation of ethnicity in our area. But I have a vision and I have a dream and I have a hope for us as a congregation that we will expand that ethnicity among us. I want to see that happen. And I have to be honest, look at me. I'm pretty white, as much as white as you get. No, we're not going to... I'm a white, as as we would say in in the sociology class, I am definitely white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, male. (laughs) That's who I am. And I can't do all things for all people. I can't be all things for all people. But in the body of Christ, I want us to open ourselves to the multiple, to all the tribes that God has. And to be committed to take this message of good news to all the tribes. Because God is the God of mercy to the multitudes. Finally, number five, God is the God of mission. And we go back to the book of Genesis i got all these tabs in my Bible today. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, where we read, again, it's back to the promise that God gives to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We who have faith in Jesus Christ have got to continue to obey our Lord. I used to think that God was calling me to be a missionary in a foreign country. My parents, as I was growing up, my parents got involved with an organization um, that, uh, that uh, had missionaries. And somebody asked my father one day, would you be willing, if there's a missionary coming through the area, would you be willing to host them? If they're speaking at a church, they're raising funds for their mission, would you be willing just to, just to keep them for a night? My dad said, oh, yeah, that sounds like that would be a good experience. About two weeks later, that, that friend called my dad and said, uh, the, the, his name is Hudson Hess, and he's a missionary in Haiti, and he's coming tomorrow. <laughs> would you host him? My dad choked and said, what? <laughs> and by the way, he's married, so his wife is coming. And by the way, they have some children. And I thought it would be a good match because you've got four kids and I thought it would be a good opportunity for your children to meet another missionary family and make a friendship. But they have six children, all girls. (laughs) And I I have two sisters older and and an older brother. I'm the youngest of four. And and I thought, they're all girls. And I was like six or seven years old. I'm "Ah, girls, cooties. Okay. But every, ever since then, mom and dad have hosted missionaries. So I've been exposed to, to hearing stories of the power of God in other countries. And I love that. And I always thought that God was calling me to, to, to the mission field. Actually, I kind of said to God, I'd rather go to a mission field, God, and be a missionary there than, than be a preacher in the United States. Ugh. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to stand up in front of people every, every week and give something to them. I'll never have enough to say. Little did I know. So, when I was a, so, so that was a childhood experience. When I was a junior in high school that summer, I went on a little mission trip with some other uh, young people to Costa Rica. That was a positive experience. 
And then I, when I was in college, I was part of an organization that was, that was pushing uh, missions. And I was the president of that organization, and I was in front of the student body, and I was, I was, I was presenting the idea of missions to, to other people. And then when I was a senior in, in college, uh, that spring break of my senior year, I went on a mission trip to Honduras, and I was getting ready to graduate, and I thought, God, this is the time for you to confirm that, yes, Roger, I want you to be a missionary. So I went on this trip to Honduras thinking that God's going to confirm what I think what I'd like God to do. So I went to this, this, this school in Honduras that's a, a voc- an agriculture vocational technical school for Honduran boys. And we had a great time there. We were helping to build a chapel, and, and, and one of the jobs that I was given to do was put grout in the tile. And I started pushing grout into the tile, and the missionary who was leading us came over to me, and he yelled at me, Roger, you've got to push harder than that. You've got to get that grout in there. We want this chapel to stay here forever for these boys. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like a failure. And I didn't feel, I, I felt, I, I lost my confidence in doing that job. And I said, well, why don't you give me another job if I'm not doing this one right? And so he sends me to go help, help them put roofing tiles on it. And, and my job was to stand on this scaffolding. The scaffolding was hanging. It wasn't on the solid ground. It was hanging from these trusses that were going the length of the, I don't know, rafters, I don't know what you call them, the length of the, the, length of the uh, building. And it was shaky. And my job was to stand on that shaky scaffold, grab this tile that was about two feet by four feet, hand it up to this guy up here, and that's all I had to do. But I was shaking so much, and the more I shook, the more that scaffolding shook. And I reached down here like this, and here's this Honduran worker looking at me with these great big beautiful brown eyes. He looks at me and he says, Poco, Poco! (laughs) And I don't know Spanish. But I knew that he was telling me, you're going way too slow. You can't do this job. And I was feeling very defeated in the way that I wanted God to let me go. And finally, we had, we had a break one day, and I saw over here there's a tractor that was identical to the, one of the tractors that we had on my farm in upstate New York. And I asked the missionary, would you just let me drive that tractor, have a little quiet time? And I have a tractor just like it at home. I promise I'm not going to ruin the tractor. So I got on that tractor and I started driving around the farm that we were in in Honduras thinking, God, you and I are going to have a beautiful conversation and you're going to say to me, Roger, this is my calling for your life. That's what I was anticipating. And I sat on that tractor and I said, God, I hate this. I'm miserable. I haven't done anything right on the foreign mission field. I keep getting yelled at. Why isn't this a good thing? I came down here to do a good thing for you. And it was so very clear to me that God said, Roger, this is not where I want you. I want you to stay in the United States. Your territory is your own culture. But as I, as I accepted that, I came to realize something unique. And we all who are in America must realize this. God is bringing the nations to us. Our neighbors don't look like me. And they probably don't look like you. The foods that they cook don't smell like those foods that I grew up on. And sometimes I might walk past their house and say, oh, what is that? But God has created them 
part of the many tribes that God is also calling us. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we may not be on the foreign mission field, but God is asking us to go across our own cultures and share the gospel with everybody. That's why I want us to be a multi-ethnic church. But it's not just because I want it. It's because God is sending us because God is a God of mission. Sending us out into the world. And I I know you're you're hearing this. The the, the root of the good news is Jesus Christ came to forgive us our sins. And He died on the cross and by us accepting Him, saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. We become part of that larger family of God. And we become responsible to go out into this world, wherever we are, to whatever culture. So let's take time to learn about the cultures that are right around us. In this class, perspectives that I mentioned, and it's not too late. One of the things you may want to, you just may want to come to one class and see what it's like. But I, 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 I guarantee that you will be challenged and you will find it helpful. Not just to your own perspective, to gain a perspective of the world as God sees it. Anyway, I've gone way over. Thank you for paying attention for this time. And let's take some time. Here are some next steps. You know, I, I am serious about uh, signing up for the Perspectives class and, and being part of that. We have over 40 people who have signed up already. Uh, you, can, you can indicate on the di- digital connect card. You can text us for prayer. If you just want somebody to have prayer, maybe one of the things I said in this long sermon affected you, please join us. Uh, and join us at Beyond or just text us and have some conversation online. We'd love to pray with you and be with you. If you're here in the room, I invite you as we sing our closing song, come and pray. Let's hear what God is saying to us and asking him, Lord, how do you want us to go out to the multitudes in order that every nation, every tongue, every people, every tribe will bow down at the feet of Jesus and lift him up as the Lord of all. Let's pray together.